Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. All right. Welcome to the show, Fifth Street Soccer here on the Sports Byline Broadcast Network and Sirius XM 211. Dan Patrick Sports. I'm not Dan Patrick. I'm Nick Gieber. And neither is my co-host. He's not Dan Patrick either. He's Kartik Krishnaya. Kartik, it's kind of a slow week in the world of global football. You know, we've had the excitement of the big tournaments and the transfer market supposedly heating up. But in all honesty, it's been a little bit slow, hasn't it? Yeah, it's been very slow. I mean, I think since the end of the Women's World Cup, obviously, Cup of African Nations went beyond that. Uh, it's gotten slow. We've got these kind of boring friendlies going on. And not much activity in the transfer market, but I'm still expecting expecting some sort of uh, uh, frenzy toward the end of the uh, transfer window. Well, and there are some big names uh, up for grabs, uh, Gareth Bale being the biggest one. Is he going to go to China or is he going to try to, at the age of 30, uh, you know, get a good three or four years of solid football, maybe in the Premier League behind him? We can talk about that. We can talk about the situation at United where Paul Pogba, according to Juan Mata, is just the greatest guy in the world and everyone's uh, everyone's revolving around him. That's kind of an interesting quote. And we are later on in the show going to give quite a bit of time to these wonderful comments from the always outspoken LA Galaxy forward Zlatan Ibrahimovic, who, other than thinking he is the greatest man in the world, he may well be, by the way, um, he had some interesting comments about Major League Soccer. We touched on some of these last week and some of the fallout from the MLS fanboys and girls and some of the uh, bootlicking MLS media, how much they were up in arms about this. But ESPN have published the rest of the interview with him, and we have it in writing, and some of these quotes are astounding, and I think we should talk about them. I think they are good food for thought. Also, uh, we talked about Arsenal last week, and one of our Twitter, well, one of our listeners got really... Um, busy with us on Twitter, Rashid Baguna had a big, big, long diatribe about Arsenal, really salient points. Let's talk about the Gunners and the situation at the Emirates. All right, that's what's on the table today. Uh, Nick and Kartik with you as we are each and every weeknight, 6 p.m. Pacific, 9 Eastern. If you'd like to give us a call in the studio, you can do that. 800-878-PLAY, 800-878-PLAY. Oh, by the way, big hello to my uh, dearest, Kerry, who's uh, always listening to the show. We really appreciate that. All right. Uh, if you want to find us on Twitter, you can find us at Fist Street Sports. Uh, we can find us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash History Sports Talk. I had to think about that for a minute. All right, Nick and Kartik with you. We'll be right back in just a couple of minutes to kick it all off right here on Fist Street Soccer. All right, welcome back. Ooh, that was quick. Uh, welcome back to the show, Street Soccer. Nick and Kartik with you today. Um, you know, it is uh, somewhat quiet in the world of football, but actually the more I look into it, and as we were prepping for today, the sort of more stories were coming front and center. But Kartik, the one thing I didn't mention is I, I posted this on our official uh, Twitter account earlier on in the week. I wanted to know if we were going to give Dennis Prager the Wanker of the Week Award just before the week had even started uh, because of his comments about the U.S. women's national team. And one of the great things, by the way, about SiriusXM and about the Sports Byline Network is unlike ESPN, Kartik, you and I, we are not uh, we are not 
stopped from talking about politics. And I'm sorry if you don't agree with us politically. You know, you can just deal with it. If you don't like us, you can turn off the radio. It's just that simple. But Dennis Prager is a complete tosser. <laughs> well, we already uh, we already knew that, but <laughs> um, you know his commentary about the U.S. women's national team, like some heartbroken you know, uh, jingoist. Basically, we all wanted to love the U.S. women's national team, uh, but they let us down, and uh, they they they, uh, uh, they they they're they were, they shouldn't be talking about politics and their 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 social attitudes and all of this. I mean, it is unbelievable because, uh, again, I don't want to get too political here, but when oh, feel there's free. an actor in Hollywood, the rare conservative actor in Hollywood, or the uh, athlete, uh, particularly football and baseball players that speak out on uh, on politics and social issues, I remember uh, uh, Kurt Schilling, for example, uh, they embrace them and they magnify those people. And there have been a lot of NFL players over the years who have been very conservative. So, again, they don't – they don't want to have it both ways, right? They don't want to have the conversation or the discussion or the dialogue about some of the issues the U.S. women uh, might be raising. And uh, you reference ESPN. Uh, obviously, I'm in South Florida. Uh, Dan Levitard is the most popular sports host in this town. And um, he's now in the news about this same sort of thing. Well, uh, lots of uh, big ups to Dan Lebertard. Uh, big respect for me. A uh, man sticking to his guns. He didn't do his show today out of uh, protest because ESPN wouldn't allow him to talk politics. Now, under their former regime, under John Skipper, uh, they were, you know, much more liberal about that. Uh, the host could really say whatever they want. And again, it's a great thing about where we are, and we really appreciate the fine people at uh, both Sports Byline and uh, Sirius XM. Uh, but look, what Dennis Prager said is ridiculous. I'm going to just a couple quotes here. Uh, it takes a lot for people like me not to root for an American team, but Megan Rapinoe, the foul-mouthed foul star of the team and her fellow players made it possible. The U.S. women's team disgraced itself Either its members were cowed into submission by Rapino, or they agreed, or at least they never agreed, or, or at least they never disagreed with her attacks on the president. Her reference to the White House as the effing White House, her refusal since 2016 to participate in the national anthem, and her repeatedly shouting during the team's parade in New York City, "Quote, New York, you're the mother effing best." For example, Rapino said, every member of the team that I have talked to would not go to the White House. Then here's this quote. Rapino is a great soccer player. Other than that, she's unimpressive. She comes across as arrogant, a fool, and a, no, and a low life. Why a fool? Because she thinks she has something important to say to the American people and that we need to hear it because she's a great player. I mean, why would we even then listen to to Dennis Prager, what does he have to say? I mean, what, you know, why? What has Dennis Prager ever won? I mean, you know, has Dennis yeah. Prager ever represented his country and won an award for his country? I don't think so. Dennis Prager is a wanker. That's just the bottom line here. And the fact is, this is the double standard, Kartik. How many NBA teams have you seen partying up, uh, you know, yelling obscenities, having a great time. I mean, this is kind of the in-your-face culture we live in today. Dennis Prager, like me, is a bit of a dinosaur. But, you know, I have kids, and I see how this works. And, you know, listen, Megan Rapino and the U.S. women's national team, far, far from disgracing themselves, have brought glory 
to the United States and the U.S. Women's National Program. So he's wanker of the week for me. What, what do you think? Yeah, I, I completely agree. And, you know, I, I mentioned on Twitter, uh, just because I, I, it came to mind. Look, I didn't even think about it. I'm watching the Open yesterday, and Paul Azinger is the, uh, the uh, co-commentator uh, with uh, Dan Hicks on uh, – on NBC, and I thought, you know what? I remember when he said he wouldn't go to the White House when the U.S. won the Ryder Cup because he didn't because he's a conservative like most golfers are, and he he didn't respect Bill Clinton. Now and then, I, so I put it out there. Got all this vile attack from conservatives that it wasn't true. Oh, and it's different because this was a national team. I'm like, well, that was a national team. It was a Ryder Cup team, and they won for a change that time. <laughs> Haven't done a whole lot of since, right? Um, I remember the time Crenshaw was captain, they won with that dramatic comeback. But um, so, and what was so funny about it then uh, was that it turned out, I guess, it wasn't just Asian girl, it was multiple guys who didn't want to go. And then they ended up going um, after, and, and some still didn't go, but, but the, the team ended up going and, and meeting Bill Clinton at the White House. 25 years later, or more than 25 years later, it was 1993, um, 26 years later, um, they're, they're the same people who are saying that was okay to me are saying that this is different. This is a different situation entirely because um, – and then use these same arguments Prager's making, that the uh, U.S. women had uh, disrespected the United States while on foreign soil. Megan Rapino had disrespected her president while on foreign soil. Like uh, – um, that to me, that that's just mind-boggling. Uh, so essentially – what you're saying is you can't disrespect the head of state, or, or not disrespect, but but critique the head of state in this country at any time. Well, so yeah. we'll remember that four right. years from now or eight years from now, right? You, you when the can't. next World Cup rolls around, right? Exactly. Well, the the last thing he said is is, is classic. He says people ex- who excel in one thing attempted to think they're smart about everything. Uh, but that's almost never the case. Right, Dennis, you could be talking about yourself. There's no reason at all to assume that people who excel in anything other than wisdom are wiser than anybody else. And here's the kicker. People who think they are wise because they excel at, some, excel at something unrelated to wisdom are, are fools. This guy is an arrogant, egotistical dinosaur who is so filled with a sense of his own importance and pomposity, I'm surprised he can even get up from his chair and move around. Yeah, it's like a lot of these conservative commentators. I mean, I, I, out of curiosity, read through uh, parts of Laura Ingram's book, Shut Up and Sing, which was a shot at Hollywood and at entertainers for being liberals. And um, I was I was just blown away because her arguments were so simplistic, like she had a license and a patent on wisdom. And uh, people who are actors or singers, and in many cases, actors who are acting in uh, societally important movies, you know, some of the movies Steven Spielberg's made, I think of even Lincoln and Bridge of Spies, recent movies has made The Post, uh, have to understand politics, they have to understand society, and they have to understand history to deliver those performances. Well, They're probably more qualified a guy like Tom Hanks, probably more qualified to talk about stuff in society than most of these conservative or liberal commentators, for that matter. But has more historical perspective. So I, I don't know what, the self-importance of people who commentate on politics. Who, uh, Nick, I can tell you from my own experience, having been in politics, and I was in politics on, on the left, and the same thing applies to a lot of people on the left. They are full of self-importance because they can't make it in any other profession. And they really don't know anything about anything else, right? They just give these very stereotypical, stale 
uh, um, commentary that doesn't involve critical thinking. And it's not right. just Prager and Coulter and Ingram. There are people on the left that are the same well, way. I, I, it, it's really I tell boring. you what, Kartik, if it wasn't uh, – if, if actors never went into politics, we'd only remember this man for the Stillwell Road or the fight for the sky, Target Tokyo, Louisa, Storm Morning. And, of course, we'd never – Remember him as President Ronald Reagan, uh, an actor who <laughs> had a few wise things to say. Uh, I am actually uh, was an, a, a, a supporter of Ronald Reagan. I'm more on the conservative side of the Democratic ticket. Uh, nowadays, uh, I'm, I'm an old school Reagan Republican. That makes me a Democrat these days, I believe. Uh, anyway, uh, Kartik, <laughs> uh, we have to go to break. We'll put the politics aside, though, because there is a lot of football to talk about, uh, which we will engage in in our typical wise man because we know everything. We will try not to be foul-mouthed louts. But all I can say is Dennis Prager most certainly is the wanker of the week. All right, we're going to take a break. I'll be back with more right here in History Soccer. You're back with us here on Fifth Street Soccer. Nick and Kartik with you. Uh, last week, we were talking a little bit about the Gunners, about Arsenal, and what Kartik and I uh, were rather harsh about the situation at the Emirates, about the future for Arsenal Football Club, and we were talking a little bit about the history of the club and how they got to this rather unfortunate place where they are really having trouble finding a way to get into the top three or top four, and entrenched themselves there, as they were under Arsene Wenger, where every year they won the Wenger Trophy, which, of course, is a top four finish, which just about everyone poo-pooed at the time. But, you know, now we see just how difficult it is to win the quote-unquote Wenger Trophy uh, every year. Having said that, Kartik, you and I had some positions on this, and one of our listeners, Rashid the Guna, uh, sent a was trying to actually call in but I don't. Believe, I think he's in the UK and was having trouble reaching us. So he sent us a three-part tweet, which I would like to read, we, in talking about David Dean, because you had mentioned about how David Dean and the, the Stan Kroenke situation had really conspired to put Arsenal in its uh, rather unfortunate situation. So I'm going to read the first one. Uh, he says, Kartik mentioned David Dean, and while he's right about his affiliation with Uzmanov, Dean is the one who caused all of this. Dean sold shares to Kroenke, first of all, and when Peter Hillwood found out, he fired him from the board. The board also said of Kroenke that they don't want, quote, his type at the club on the board. So with that, Kroenke was shut out. Then Dean had no way in. So he then went to Usmanov to sell him the rest of his shares and try to force a hostile takeover on his end. And when the board realized, they decided Kroenke was the lesser of two evils and then put him on the board. When Danny Friesman was literally on his deathbed, he didn't want Usmanov getting the rest of his shares, so he sold them to Kroenke to prevent the chance of Usmanov becoming majority shareholder. And here we are today. The final point he makes, Kartik, he says, I do agree with you about the Emirates, but the Emirates was planned in 2002, long before Dean went to Kroenke. Had Kroenke not come into the club, maybe, just maybe, 
the stadium would have been much bigger cash cow for us right now. Now, that's Rashid Daguna writing to us on Twitter, uh, at Fifth Street Sports. You know, he brings up some really interesting points, Kartik, and uh, in some respect, it's a self-inflicted wound from Arsenal. In their desire to not have Uzmanov, they married Kroenke, and all you've got to do is look around Major League Soccer, for example, and see what a disaster he is uh, in terms of uh, an owner if you want your team to excel. Yeah, and uh, th- thank you for those uh, those tweets. Very true. I had forgotten that chronology. Danny Fitz- Fitzman, uh, I think, signed over everything the day- the night before he he passed, right? And and Lady Nina Bracewell, something very similar with her, um, in in terms of their shares. Uh, and if I also recall correctly, um, this Cronky had bought maybe ten or fifteen percent as early as as two thousand six or two thousand seven, because now. That that it's been brought up. I remember going to a Colorado Rapids game in 2000, 2007, and there was talk that the team was going to be rebranded Colorado Colorado um, the um, because of the the, the linkage through Cronky, who did not yet own. You know, he was a minority shareholder at the time at Arsenal, as as you've laid out in your tweets. But then all, or, uh, but also. Um, the new site of Dick Sporting Goods Park, or the new stadium at the time for the Rapids, was built uh, on what was the old arsenal there. Yeah. So it would have worked two ways. But, yeah, um, I, I think um, those are all very salient points, very good points. Uh, and thank you thank you for the reminder on history. I do think David Dean then maybe was playing a little bit with fire. I still give him so much credit for making Arsenal the club it, it, it became. Uh, but... Uh, uh, on the way out, there was a little bit of uh, a bitterness, bitterness and gamesmanship on his part. Um, and uh, Arsene Wenger, who he had, of course, brought to, to, to England, uh, he certainly didn't do him any favors with, with that sort of uh, behavior yeah. and hostile but takeover the, attempts but uh, at the, the end. What was the problem these guys had with Uzmanov? I mean, you know, look, I'm not sure that there's a, t- too many profiles of ownership that you're going to look and say, ooh, that's great, I want that owner. Maybe Fenway Sports Group, but... You know, what is it exactly about Usmanov that they were all so up in arms about? Um, I think that they didn't want a um, an owner, a big, big money owner that was probably going to uh, oust everybody and create a, a structure like Chelsea under Roman Amramovich. I think that would have been uh, uh, the fear or... or uh, because Arsenal was very much kind of a family club with those those shareholders, right? Um, otherwise, I, I don't know because I mean uh, he he was one of the richest men in the world at the time. I mean, he was worth like fifteen or twenty billion when um, he was interested in buying Arsenal and certainly would have um, invested in the club and I, 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 in a way that Abramovich, who who um, if I recall correctly, he was quite friendly with, had invested in Chelsea. Now you can't tell me. That Chelsea is worse off now than they were before Roman bought the club. Are you kidding me? Do you want Ken Bates back? Right, right, right. You want Ken Bates? You, you, you want to be five minutes away from bankruptcy filing? I right. mean, because that, that that that's where they were. And, you know, this is a this is a discussion. And Ken that, Bates, uh, by the way, plunged leads into bankruptcy twice. I should remind people. Oh, and of course, right, absolutely. What to him after he left Chelsea. Yeah, I mean, who knows? Maybe he's a shareholder at Bolton Wanderers. I mean, that could be maybe one of the that could maybe one of the reasons that they're in such trouble. Although I don't think so. They've got <laughs> right. a completely different set of issues. But it's interesting because you know one of the things I have discovered over the years is that you know football fans are 
unlike uh, NFL fans or to a degree NHL fans, uh, maybe NBA fans are a little bit this way, but f- football fans, soccer fans are very no they are real nosy parkers and they are very opinionated about the people that pay big money for those teams and part of this is these teams have been around so long that really the owners buy the teams and yeah they do own them legally but they're really sort of leasing them from the community because most of these teams are so firmly entrenched in the community and have been for you know 130 years and that's one of the reasons that that fans do get so up in arms about it but you know look look at manchester united i mean they had trouble getting good ownership they had the two irish fellows and the horse seaman problem that they were dealing with if you remember that Uh, and uh, i mean that nearly imploded the club and then they had the public offering and then they had the glazers now i know most man united supporters and and we will get uh, phil de brune on here again you know absolutely cannot stand the glazers think they've been you know the absolute worst thing to happen to united but you can't say united hasn't won a lot of stuff and signed a bunch of big name players under the glazer stewardship no and i've always heard also pushback from some very traditional fans that it's foreign ownership it's this and that and i agree i mean i, I think a lot of times american owners go in uh, they, they, they treat it like it's a, a pure business when these are community institutions. These are more like colleges, right? The way we would view, view U.S. college football, college basketball programs in their importance to the community and to their fans than the NFL or NBA or NHL teams. Um, however, the two worst owners that I can think of in football, in, 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 in English football in the last 10 years have been Ken Bates. Well, before I mentioned Ken Bates, who've been around for 30 years, but uh, had, had, you know, uh, done damage at one club after another, went from Bolton to Chelsea, went from Chelsea to Leeds. Uh, and uh, Mike Ashley. Mike Ashley is absolutely the worst owner in football. Um, well, he, has, he has a gem of a diamond, and he's unwilling, unwilling to spend the few bucks that he needs to to polish it up to its, its glorious beauty. Right. So given the way the sport has evolved and – the money in the sport has evolved. You're almost better off with a foreign owner that has some interest in football or comes from a footballing culture or, or is FSG, right? Um, that, was a, that was an exception, right, to the general trend of American owners. But uh, the owners who come from, from Eastern Europe, from Asia, from the Middle East, there have been some bad ones, but there have also some, been some very, very good yeah. ones. And recently there haven't been very many – well-run, big, big clubs by English owners. And yeah, that's I mean, just the reality. We'll we're take talking a look specifically at, about England. Well, we can have I'm, this conversation about every every domestic league, but England specifically, I think that that's the reality. Well, oh, so. I mean, you know, what about the uh, the Thai family that owns Leicester City? Now, they obviously had a big tragedy last year, but, I mean, they put uh, a lot of money. fantastic, in. though. Yeah, I mean, what about yeah. the owners of Watford, Italian, if I'm not mistaken, right? Yeah, those uh, are family. They've, been, yeah. they've, they've turned that club into a... A legitimate Premier League club. That was always a yo-yo club. That was more of a Championship club, right? Watford and yeah. Leicester. No, no one's going to argue about Leicester. In fact, the Leicester fans adore those owners, uh, and that was a huge community tragedy for them when uh, the owner died in that, that helicopter crash. Because yeah. uh, um, not only had they come from a footballing culture, but then they came and lived among the people in Leicester, and obviously, you know, the, the success speaks for itself, right? 
Um, Leicester City, when they bought the club, had fallen to, out of the top two flights of English football for the first time in their history. Um, under the auspices of another owner, Milan Mandarich, who was horrible. Yeah. Who now doesn't own anyone, but he was a terrible owner for years. Another American, by the way. He was American. Doesn't he buy a team in Serie B or Serie A? Yeah, and he bought, you know, remember he bought Portsmouth at one point, and then he bought, like, an Italian team. Was it Palmer? He's just a bad owner. I forget. Was it, like, Palmer or something like that? I don't remember. Yeah, and I think he bankrupted them. Right. Yeah, right. right. Yeah, well done. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, the ownership discussion is an interesting one. And uh, so I'm not sure what the Usmanov deal was. But, look, to get back to Arsenal for a minute, uh, we just got a minute left. Uh, we promised we'd mention it. They do finally make a signing. It is a loan signing. But, you know, I think it's actually a pretty decent one, getting uh, Sabalos on loan from uh, from Real Madrid. What do you think? Yeah, Donny Sabalos is a player I like a lot. Uh, uh, did not expect Real Madrid. Uh, he's been playing more and more the last few years. Played more last season but before Zidane became the manager, admittedly. Uh, but uh, that's a good central midfield signing. Box-to-box midfielder can be influential. Pa- good passer of the ball. Really good technically. Uh, young player. I, I understand, as you said, it's a loan deal, but that's a that's a good signing for Arsenal that uh, the Gunnar fans, I think, will be happy with. Right, and if they can finally uh, open the wallet up just a bit more and get uh, Wilfred Zaha from Crystal Palace, uh, it, may, it may be a half-decent off-season uh, for Arsenal, but still very disappointing. All right, when we come back, uh, the great one, I'm not talking about Wayne Gretzky, I'm talking about Zlatan Ibrahimovic, sounds off about Major League Soccer. Kartik and I will discuss right after this. All right, welcome back. This Street Soccer, Nick and Kartik with you. Uh, just a correction. Uh, Milan Mandarich never did own Palmer in Italy. He owned uh, Portsmouth, Leicester City, Sheffield Wednesday, and he is currently the owner of Olympia Ljubljana, in the Serbian League, is that it? Must be Slovenia. Slovenia is in Slovenia. Yeah, Slovenia, yeah. Slovenian League. Anyway, I haven't been seeing them on TV, to be fair. So uh, I'll right. just keep my mouth shut about it. All right. Well, let's get to it. Let's talk about uh, Zlatan Ibrahimovic, because uh, on Friday uh, we played a genius quote uh, from Zlatan where he was uh, – I forget who it was. Um, who was it? Uh, the, the guy from uh, – uh, ESPN was uh, goading Hercules him. Hercules Gomez. Thank you, Hercules. Yes, was go- who actually has been on the show, by the way. Hercules was goading Zlatan and saying that Carlos Vela uh, is one of the is the top player in the league. And of course, Zlatan went off on that and said, "Well, he's thirty. Um, he's twenty nine. Where was I when I was twenty nine? And obviously, he was playing at the, <laughs> the absolute top level in Europe, uh, being one of the most influential and important players in European football." Uh, which he truly was, and you know Zlatan never played in England, and and so I think for for and of course uh, Sweden <clears throat> never quite has had he's never had a great incredible Swedish team around him. So in in some ways I look at Zlatan almost as like the modern day version of George Best. Yeah, I mean he um he had Sweden teams that at least qualified for tournaments, right? I mean they made World Cups, they made Euros, yeah. uh, but they were never. They were never contenders to win anything, right? I mean, I guess, I guess they were early in his career when Henrik Larsson was still playing, um, and they had the two of them. But yeah, that's true. He was kind of like a George Best that way. However, I mean, in terms of winning league titles, I mean, he won 
um, well, he won the titles at Juventus that got stripped because of the uh, uh, the, the the scandal. But then yeah. won at Inter. He won at Barcelona. Uh, the year he went to Milan, uh, suddenly they won the title. Although they fell off after that. Then he goes to PSG. He wins titles. Um, look, Manchester United in the post um, Ferguson era had their best years when he was there. Um, and actually, him tearing his ACL was probably the thing that kept them from doing even better. But, um, I mean, he, he certainly tore it up uh, for his age there. Um, so he's won everywhere he's been. Um, I guess he won a couple cups at Manchester United. So while he didn't win the league there, they did win the uh, Euro- uh, the Europa League, and, and I think they won the League Cup or, or FA Cup. So um, uh, League Cup, that's right, because he, he was a big star in that match. Well, um, but, but, you know, but look, but, I, mean, I mean, it's very similar. I mean, George, George Best won, you know, what was then the first division with Man United a couple times. He won the European Cup in 68. Yeah. Um, you know, top scorer in the league multiple times. Ballon d'Or, PFA, Team of the Year, uh, legends of football. I mean, but again, Northern Ireland, you know, his international career was sort of non-existent in terms of, uh, in terms of uh, you know, even though he had 37 uh, appearances for Northern Ireland, Northern Ireland weren't exactly or aren't exactly a big international team. But much like Zlatan, ended his career in the United States. Yeah, um, I mean, obviously, thinking back to the teams that he had uh, uh, with with Sweden, they were good very when he was young with with Henrik Larsson and, and Freddie Jumberg and and Svensson and and, and Olaf Melberg, uh, those teams. But yeah, when he was at his in his prime. Um, the only reason they even qualified for international tournaments was because of him, yeah. right? I mean, they were they were not they were non entity. Um, yeah, he's ending his career in the U.S. Uh, much like uh, uh, George Best. Although George Best actually went back to England after he, he went to the U.S. Yeah. and you know he could stay with a club for very long. And we there was actually a story here because he um, drank all the alcohol in the city and there'd be none left. Yeah, right. No, I, it was a serious problem. And so we were actually apparently they were going to bring him back here in the ASL, which was a later league, a link league in the late '80s. Um, actually, have seen from the photographer a couple photos of George Best photo ops, and then the signing didn't happen because of. Um, you know, these sorts of issues. And, of course, his life was cut short because of it also, which is a great tragedy. Um, But, man, uh, you know, you bring in a guy like Zlatan, okay? He is one of the five to seven best players in the world over the course of the last decade, right? If you're going to make a list of the top five, top seven players, he's on that list. You're going to bring in a player like him to Major League Soccer, um, and you're not going to give him and, – and you're going to expose him because, here, again, here's a guy who's played um, – obviously, he started in his own domestic league in Sweden, which is a, not a very good league. But uh, he went to Ajax when Ajax was – well, Ajax is back to being Ajax now, but when anyway. Ajax was still Ajax in that era, won there in the Dutch league, went to Italy, went to Spain, went to England, won in all these places, okay? And then he's going to come – excuse me – from a club like Manchester United to MLS – and, he, you know, you have to understand, one, because he's so outspoken and he's so, such a character that you better bring the standard of what he's going to see in terms of facilities, in terms of training, in terms of management, in terms of promotion up to the Zlatan level. Right. 
MLS didn't do that. And what we had when Zlatan signed, Nick, as I said the other day, were all these MLS fanboys saying, oh, you know, he's old and he's not going to do well in this league. And uh, he's coming off an ACL and, uh, and blah, blah, blah. Well, he comes in and he tears it up. And he's on, on, he wasn't on a very good team, right? Um, so then it became, well, he doesn't keep his mouth shut. He doesn't respect this league. And now uh, I think Zlatan has found, unfortunately, I mean, this is a – I hate to take these shots at, people, at, at what goes on around here, uh, Nick, but he's found the, the intellectual or football IQ level of uh, most Amer- many American fans and, uh, and American writers to be uh, very low. So he's now just trolling them. Yeah. Uh, Hercules Gomez would not be one of those. Hercules Gomez, to me, is the top, top five football analyst in this country, yeah, um, he's a great which, guy. which might be part of the – part of the reason why U.S. soccer and MLS don't really like him very much <laughs> and why he has the question to go goad Zlatan. Um, I don't but, actually... Go, I don't thank really, God for Hercules. Go, he, go you know, it's interesting to me because, you know, here's a player. If you look at this five-year run from Zlatan up to the point of the injury, okay, uh, from 2011 till 2016, this guy, after almost a hundred and eight, almost 200 games in that period of time of that five year scored on just a hair shy of one goal every game i mean that and he's not playing on slouch teams i mean he's playing on milan he's playing on psg i mean this is you know an unbelievable statistic for a great player so when he is asked what his opinions are, and I'm gonna I'm gonna read this quote because it's just classic, and I'm gonna ask you, uh, Kartik, uh, to put you to make this comparison for yourself. Um, he says, "Quote: MLS is not the level of Europe, to be honest. Before I played with players even uh, about on my level or close to it, which makes the game connecting easier. Here, I am like a Ferrari among Fiats, and it can happen that the Ferrari can become the Fiat, or the Fiat can become the Ferrari." I had the same issue with the national team, although not as much. I said, I don't accept it. I don't accept when the ball doesn't arrive or it arrives too late. I want them to come up to my level. All of this makes me slow down a bit. The game here in America could be so much faster, so much more tactical, so much more rhythmic. And then he starts quoting, then the Hercules Gomez says, I asked Latan, what will it take for MLS to achieve parity with Europe and South America? And he responds to the question, do they want to make it? So I ask, who is they? He says, they that control it, the owners, do they want it to be big? I said, yes, of course. He says, you think? I says, you don't? He says, I don't. When I asked him why, he said, because you don't make money in soccer. In Europe, I can pick two clubs that make money. The rest don't. They do it out of passion. Here with the sports, you make money, and that's it. And I think with all the rules you have here, you're not boosting up the soccer. So I ask, what rules? He said, the budget, the salary cap. You cannot bring in the players you want. You have more rules here than I have in my home. But now comes the crux of the quote. He talks about the league's playoff format. He says, here, you can lose five games, and it's still, eh, don't worry, we're in the playoffs. So why would you even want to play the first eight months of the season? No, I don't accept this. To be the best, (coughs) excuse me, you have to be the best every day. You know, in Europe, if you come in last, you go down to the Division Two. That's pressure. So last year, we fight for six positions to go to the playoffs, but came in seventh. 
If we had made the sixth position, people would have said we had a, quote, good season. I say, quote, <laughs> fighting for the sixth position, that means we had a expletive season. We need to fight for number one, not number six. Kartik Zlatan <laughs> absolutely encapsulates everything that the promotion relegation USA folks are talking about, about the mediocrity of the league and the fact that there is no motivation for teams in this league to get really good. The motivation, everything, everything about this league, Kartik, everything, is about one thing and one thing only. And you know what that is, Kartik. Uh, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's money, right? I mean, that's it. Uh, yeah, so much to unpack there, Nick. He's spot on on everything. Yeah, a little ABBA for him. Money, money, money. Yeah. Yeah, he's absolutely correct. So he's spot on in, on everything. Let, let's, let's uh, go a couple things. First off, he talked about the level of the players he's playing with. Absolutely correct, Nick, because I've noticed this with other DPs who've come over when I watched MLS more closely, and I covered Orlando City for two seasons when Kaká was there, and he his mind was working at a speed uh, that the other players couldn't relate to, so he was playing balls, doing creative things that other guys couldn't read. Of course, Kaká's like a Boy Scout. He's not like Zlatan, right? So um, he's not going to make these same quotes, but he could have made the same quotes because I saw it with my own eyes. Uh, and Zlatan has been let down by teammates that are not at his quality. Two, the thing about uh, American owners, absolutely true. It's all about money. It's all about profit for them. That's why the earlier conversation about Crocky, that's why most American owners, FSG accepted, uh, and now maybe West Edens with, with, with Aston Villa, most American owners are terrible in Europe because they're all about making profit and looking at it as an investment rather than a community institution or an investment in a passionate sport. Uh, the third point about promotion and relegation, he is spot on. The players in MLS do not feel the pressure. They feel they can lose six, seven matches in a row and still win the, uh, win the title, as Seattle did in 2017 when they uh, at one point went winless in like 10 or 12 matches. They get into the playoffs, and then they win MLS Cup. Uh, it's, it's absurd. So, um, yeah, I know Zlatan. Uh, there are going to be people who say Zlatan should leave America, and you know, he's anti-American and all that stuff now. Yeah. Go back um, where he came from. Yeah, go back to where he came from. Yeah. <laughs> no, there are MLS fans that are worse than Trump with that stuff, honestly. And people who claim that they're political liberals. I won't get too deep into that. But they get very offended when anyone attacks MLS. And they say, well, things are different here. Things have to be different here. We can't apply the European model. Well, that's why we consistently compete and lose in this sport, okay, on the men's level. Because um, we don't want to compete. We don't want to engage. Yeah. That's very true. And look, um, you know, one of the things I did like about Major League Soccer is when they were talking about revamping the playoff format. Look, I mean, just take a look at baseball. It is very, very, very hard to make the baseball playoffs. And there's some teams that haven't made it in decades. And, and that is a playoff format that works. Now, admittedly, the teams that, you know, are horrible in Major League Baseball, you know, do things like get, you know, first round draft picks. I think that's how it works, right? You know. The worse you are, the better the draft pick. Uh, but that would have been big helpful. And I, I think the league should just focus in on the on the supporters' shield as being the preeminent tournament and kind of treat the playoffs like a cup competition. But anyway, we're just about out of time this segment. Uh, we can wrap it up when we come back here on Fist Street Soccer, Nicky Brancartic, Krishna. Now, look, we are critical about Major League Soccer, don't get me wrong, but it's not a criticism because it's of the American League. It's a criticism because the things we criticize it for are valid and can be changed, and we can have a world-class league 
but they don't want to do it. All right, we'll be right back after this. Well, we hope you've enjoyed the show. Uh, just a short segment left. Just a reminder, we're with you Monday through Friday, 6 p.m. Pacific, 9 Eastern, right here on the Sports Byline Broadcast Network and Sirius XM 211, Dan Patrick Sports. By the way, we're also on iHeart, TuneIn, and, of course, the award-winning Sirius XM app, as well as talking to all of our servicemen and women in uniform around the world on the American Forces Network. Uh, hope you will make us a regular part of your week. Kartik, we didn't really get to the transfers, did we? No, I think we'll get more into that tomorrow, and hopefully there'll be more news tomorrow. Yeah, although we had no shortage. Final thought, Kartik. Yeah, transfer season will heat up at some point, and there will be big moves from the big clubs. Just hasn't happened yet. Yeah, it's going to happen. Uh, it's going to have to happen, and there's still some clubs uh, looking for some big signings. Obviously, we talk about Arsenal. I think Spurs have a number of players in the hopper uh, waiting for that to drop. I do kind of wonder if Liverpool are going to uh, sign any players of uh, of note, so to speak, or big any big names. I'm not sure they need to, although uh, they were being linked uh, through the tabloids with a possible Gareth Bale move. But I can't see it at 30 years old. That's not the profile of what uh, Fenway uh, FSG uh, like to spend money on. It would have to, and of course, his whopping great big huge wages uh, present uh, would present a problem. All right, well, we'll be back with you. Uh, tomorrow uh, to talk more about this, of course. And just to recap, I believe that, uh, you know, we have um, given Dennis Prager the Wanker of the Week Award, and we gave Zlatan Ibrahimovic the uh, Truthful Sayings of the Week Award. You with that, Kartik? Yep, I'm with both of those. All right. All right, we'll be back on the air with you tomorrow, uh, 6 p.m. Pacific, 9 Eastern. Hope you'll join us. In the meantime, find us on Twitter at Fifth Street Sports. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Fifth Street Sports Talk. Till tomorrow, have a great night. Cheers. Hi, this is Ron Barr. If you like insightful, interesting sports talk and interviews with the biggest names in sports, then join us for Sports Byline USA, coming up next on the Worldwide Sports Byline USA Network. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. 